Well, today we're continuing and actually wrapping up our series, Unforgettable Women of the Bible, and we're going to be taking a closer look at one of the most famous women in the New Testament, and that is Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene. Now, I don't know what all you've seen or you've heard or you've read about her, but she's one of those people, as they say, her reputation precedes her. And one of the most famous portraits of Mary Magdalene that's ever been painted, she's popularly depicted in art, is this one in the 1500s, painted by a man named Titian. And now this is the picture of her where she was wearing the most clothing. There is a lot where she's wearing a lot less clothing, but I wanted to be appropriate for church and for the kids here. But so as you can see, she's kind of wearing a little bit of clothing, not too much. She has long hair. And if you look closely at her eyes, she has tears in the corner of her eyes. And here, Titian is he's kind of trying to portray this Mary Magdalene who has a, a promiscuous past. He's kind of conveying her and drawing her as a harlot who has since repented with her tears and is now seeking to follow Jesus. You might also remember Mary Magdalene from the movie The Passion of the Christ, if you saw that movie. There, we find her about to be stoned, caught in the act of adultery, and we find her kneeling at Jesus' feet, kind of bruised up, ready to be saved, and we find Jesus showing mercy on her in that movie. Or maybe you, you remember Mary Magdalene from uh, Dan Brown's movie or book, The Da Vinci Code. I don't know if you ever saw that. And there, Mary Magdalene is Jesus' secret lover. And in the book, he actually says that Jesus was married to Mary Magdalene, and they had a child named Sarah. And the reason why you probably haven't heard of that is because the church has had this conspiracy to cover it up for a long time. As you can see, there's a lot of, of stories, there's a lot of depictions. We'll say there's a lot of actually myths about Mary Magdalene that have developed over time. And as I heard one preacher say, you know, if she was alive today, she would be on TMZ.com. She would be on the front page. She'd be in the tabloids at the checkout line at Publix, you know, the ones they put the little plastic cover over. She would be there because when you talk about her, some people think, you know what, she's larger than life and she has this reputation. Other people think she's kind of mysterious. Some people look down upon her and this reputation that she has. Other people lift her up. But regardless, everybody feels like Mary Magdalene is pretty unforgettable. And Mary Magdalene, if you're wondering, you know, the double name there, it would be a logical thing to think Magdalene is her last name, but it's actually not. It's a reference to the town she's from because Mary was a common name during that time. And so she's Mary of Magdala. Mary Magdalene. And Magdala is a city on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. As I said a few weeks ago, um, Emily and I had the, the privilege of visiting there. And it's a small little fishing village. They've unearthed a synagogue recently, and they're beginning to learn more about this place where Mary Magdalene spent her early years. But the thing about Mary Magdalene is we don't know a lot about her early years. And we don't know a ton about her life, which is why people have begun filling in the gaps in different times and places. Really what we have, the most authoritative text we have for learning about Mary Magdalene is find, found in the Gospels. There are 12 explicit references to her. And when you dive deeper into these references, you kind of quickly discover why she's developed this complicated reputation over time. And the reason is because Mary Magdalene has often been confused or conflated with other characters in the Bible, other women in the New Testament. 
And that's what happens in the Passion of the Christ. There, Mary Magdalene is depicted as the woman who's caught in adultery and who's about to be stoned. But if you actually look at that story, the woman who was caught in the act of adultery, she actually goes unnamed. We don't know who it was. In Luke chapter 7, there's a story where a, a promiscuous woman anoints Jesus with oil. But again, this woman is unnamed. But people at times have assumed that it was Mary Magdalene, but the Bible doesn't say that. And actually, a lot of Mary Magdalene's reputation got started in 591 when Pope Gregory the Great gave a sermon and he connected Mary Magdalene with the promiscuous woman who anointed Jesus' feet with oil. And so over time, she began to get this negative reputation as kind of a harlot. But actually, in 1969, the Catholic Church came back and they said, actually, we got that wrong. We actually think, based on reading scripture, that Mary Magdalene, the woman caught in adultery, and the woman who anointed Jesus' feet, they're actually all different people. But at that point, you know, when we actually look at it, it's kind of too little too late because Mary Magdalene has developed this reputation over time. And the bad thing about that is, is far from being this promiscuous known sinner, Mary Magdalene is actually a model disciple. Mary Magdalene is a model disciple because she is someone who walked with Jesus. She saw his miracles. She heard his teachings. She watched him die on the cross. She hugged him and felt his nail-scarred hands embrace her. She journeyed with Jesus like so many others did not. And so she has a lot to teach us today, 2,000 years later, about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And so we're going to look at her life and see what it can teach us about being a disciple of Jesus because she truly is a model disciple of Jesus. And so we're going to be jumping around in the Bible a little bit at these 12 references in the Gospels a lot of them are parallels. They're kind of the same scenes in the different Gospels. But the first one we're going to look at is in Luke chapter 8. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to that or the Bible app or your phone. And so in Luke chapter 8, we really get the only glimpse we have into her background and into her past life. And so in Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 1, Luke writes this, that Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve are with him. That's the twelve disciples, the men. And also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna, and many others. And these women were helping to support them out of their own means. So here we have really the only reference in the Bible to Mary's early life, her life before she met Jesus. And, and what's notable in this passage in verses 1 through 3 is that it wasn't just the 12 disciples who followed Jesus, those 12 men that Jesus handpicked. Surprisingly, there was also many other women. Women like Mary Magdalene, women like Susanna, women like Joanna. And this is a rare thing. This would have been a rare thing in that day. It wasn't typical for a rabbi, a teacher like Jesus, to have followers who were women who sat and learned from him. But we find out here they are. And the text says that some of them had been cured from evil spirits and diseases. And specifically, it says that Mary Magdalene had seven demons cast out of her. 
And seven is a, a kind of a biblical number that often represents completion. And so we get this image that at one point in time, Mary Magdalene was completely overtaken by these spirits, which means that she would have been an outcast. She would have been excluded from the center of her village. She would have lived a life of loneliness apart from other people. But one day she had an encounter with Jesus. Jesus had mercy on her. Jesus had kindness on her. And he healed her. And so these demons left her. And in response to this encounter and to the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ, what did she do? She chose to follow him. She chose to give her life to him. To go where he went, to learn from him, to trust him, and to see where he led her. And what's notable in verse 3 which I love this, this little side note, is that these women like Mary Magdalene, they helped to support Jesus and his ministry out of their own means. I mean, these women were financial supporters of Jesus and his ministry. They served in different places as disciples that not only followed him, they served him and they gave to him. And this passage gives us insights into her encounter with Jesus and to her response. And for us, disciples of Jesus Christ 2,000 years later, it gives us insights into what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ here and now. Because just like Mary Magdalene did, any disciple here and now needs to encounter Jesus and then follow Jesus. If, you, if you're filling in the blanks, you can, you can fill those in. A disciple encounters Jesus and then follows Jesus. And now you might be wondering, okay, well, how does that work, you know, 2,000 years later? Because Mary, I mean, she had a literal relationship with Jesus. It wasn't just a theoretical one. It wasn't just a spiritual one. She walked with him and talked to him. So how can that be for us? And the truth is because Jesus not only rose from the grave, but he ascended from the dead, he is alive. He is alive and by the power of God's grace, each of us can have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And God seeks to draw us to Jesus, to introduce us to him. And God's grace is always at work in our life. I mean, at some level, God's grace drew you here today. I don't know why you're here. Maybe God put a grandmother in your life when you were little to help draw you to the church and to, to know Jesus. Maybe, maybe when you were younger, you signed up for a youth camp at some point and God was drawing you through his grace to Jesus Christ. God loves to introduce us to Jesus, but then once we have that encounter with who Jesus is, once we learn that he loves us and that he died for us and that he rose again for us and he wants to give us new life, then we, like Mary, we have a decision to make. After this encounter, are we going to follow him or are we going to go our own way? And when you read the Gospels, you find that a lot of people had encounters with Jesus. They met him, the Son of God on earth who had all power. And they said, yeah, it's not for me. They walked away from him because his teachings were too hard or they just, they just couldn't accept what he wanted to do in their life. I mean, think about Mary. She had this life. I mean, yeah, she had these demons, but that's the life she knew. And so it was a risk to step into the unknown and to follow Jesus to wherever he went. But she responded by following him. And each of us have that choice too. When we encounter Jesus and the good news that he brings us, we have to decide, 
Are we going to go where he goes or are we going to go our own way? And this morning, maybe you've never made that decision. Maybe you've been like a lot of people in the crowds when Jesus was teaching. You've been kind of curious, been kind of interested, kind of on the outskirts looking in. You think Jesus is an interesting teacher. But maybe you've never responded by really making that next step of faith. And saying to Jesus, Jesus, I want to follow you. I believe you are who you say you are. I trust you. I want your forgiveness. I want your mercy. I want new life that you give me. I want to go where you go. Maybe you've never made that decision. If not, at the end of the service, we're going to have a time of prayer and you'll have that opportunity. But I know many of you here, you have made that decision. You have said to Jesus at some point in your life, I want to follow you. And so you know that this isn't just a one-time decision where you say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want you to be Lord of my life. And then you just do whatever you want. You know this is the beginning of a lifelong journey with Jesus. This isn't just a one-time prayer. This isn't just some kind of insurance from eternity without God. This is a journey with Jesus. And that's what we see Mary Magdalene doing. We see her throughout her life journeying with Jesus for years. She knew him extremely well. She followed him all over. And we know this because the next recorded passages about Mary Magdalene we have in the Bible is a set of passages that all surround Jesus' death. And we learn that Mary Magdalene was there when Jesus died. She watched him be crucified. She watched him suffer. And so we're going to read this passage from Mark chapter 15, beginning in verse 37, where we see part of Mary's journey with him. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, Surely this man was the Son of God. And some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. And in Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. And many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. And it was preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. And Pilate was surprised to hear that Jesus was already dead. And so summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. And when he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. And so Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. And then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. And Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Can you imagine that experience? The one you had given your life to. The one who had healed you. The one who had saved you. The one you had followed. Now you watch him under a trial with made up charges. You watch him die on a cross. You hear him crying out and suffering. 
and you see him breathe his last. Can you imagine the pain and the sorrow and the confusion she must have had in those moments? As she stood there at the foot of the cross. In this passage, I don't know if you noticed, but there are some people who are notably absent from this passage. It's the 12 disciples. The disciples that Jesus had handpicked to follow him. Matthew tells us that they had fled. That they had departed. That in the midst of, of this darkness and this confusion and the uncertainty about the future, that in response to all of that, those men went away from Jesus. Whereas Mary Magdalene and other women were standing there with Jesus. See, in the midst of the darkest moment of her life, Mary Magdalene continued to follow Jesus. And it's a very profound image where we find that Mary Magdalene even followed the dead body of Jesus all the way to the tomb. She followed him all the way there. And she models for us how we're to be as disciples because she stuck close to Jesus even in difficult times and that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to stay close to Jesus even in difficult times. She was there. She didn't know what the future held. She didn't have all of the answers. She didn't have all of it figured out. She wasn't singing some kind of praises. She didn't know that he was going to rise again, but she was still there present with Jesus because, look, she trusted him. She trusted God. And even when she couldn't see God's hand at work, she trusted God's heart. And so she was there in surrender. And she's a model for us of how God wants us to respond when, when there's darkness around us, when we're not sure what the way forward is. And staying close to Jesus in the midst of difficult times, it doesn't mean that you're just walking around with a smile on your face, baking brownies for everybody. But it means you draw close to Him. You rely on Him. You lean in towards Him. You pray. You try to continue that communion with Him. That's what we see her doing. That's what God wants us to do. And today, as we prayed earlier for the persecuted church, and, and you get those bookmarks on the way out with the prayer guide, I was reminded of a friend who's a pastor in Alabama who recently told me a story uh, about the persecuted church. His church, it's United Methodist Church in Birmingham. They've planted hundreds of churches all over Asia in partnership with Christians there, oftentimes in countries that are officially closed to Christian missionaries. And so a little while back, he was talking with one of the Christians in Asia he had met. And the Christian guy said to him, what are the prisons like in America? The pastor was a little confused. He didn't understand what, why he was asking about that, but then he put it together. He realized that that this man, this Christian in Asia, was assuming 
that this pastor in Birmingham, Alabama had spent time in jail for his faith. Because that was the experience of this man and all of the other Christians he knew. They had all been actively persecuted for their faith. They had all gone through many trials, many terrors, and many difficulties. And in the midst of it all, it didn't push them away from Jesus. It actually drew them closer to Jesus because that man and his friends, they had discovered that in the midst of their need, that Jesus gave them strength when they had no strength. That Jesus was present when they were all alone in those prison cells. They knew that Jesus was their Savior even in the midst of dark and difficult times. And I think this point is so hard for us to get as disciples today that we need to stick with Jesus even in difficult times because a lot of us somewhere along the way we've picked up this notion that if we're going to follow Jesus Christ then he promises our life is going to be safe, it's going to be comfortable, and it's going to be easy and we're going to be protected from all the sin and darkness in the world. Somewhere along the way, we've picked up that message, but nowhere in the Bible does it say that. Instead, in Acts, it says that we will have to go through many trials to enter the kingdom of God. But in the midst of those trials, Jesus is there. Does he promise us a better life? Yes, if by better you mean a life of forgiveness, a life of purpose, a life of meaning, a life of sacrifice. Does he promise us a comfortable life? Loving your enemies isn't always comfortable. Giving to the poor isn't always convenient. Taking up your cross and following him daily, it's, it's not easy. But Jesus didn't promise that it would ever be easy. He promised that it would be worth it, that he would be with us. And that through all of this, that he would guide us and give us strength. In the midst of our difficult times, Jesus is always standing there with his arms wide open, ready to embrace us. We just have to turn to open up our arms and to receive his embrace, his love, his strength, and his comfort that he wants to give us. And that's what we see Mary Magdalene doing. In these moments, these dark moments of her life, rather than fleeing away like the others, she follows Jesus even to the tomb. And as she waits for him there, she discovers the resurrection power of Jesus. And that's what's waiting for all of us as well. Because when we look at the final scenes of Mary Magdalene's life that we find out about in Scripture, they're ones that you've probably heard preached on Easter before. They're ones where we discover that she was there at the tomb that very first Easter morning. John tells us that early in the week, when it was still dark, on the first day of the week, she went to the tomb and she found that the stone had been rolled away. Imagine that gut punch. It's already bad, and then it seems to get worse. But then John picks up the story, and he continues to tell us what happened. John chapter 20, verse 11. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. 
And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said. And I don't know where they've put him. And at this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there. But she didn't realize that it was Jesus. And he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? And thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will go and get him. And then Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. And Jesus said, don't hold on to me for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news and she told them, I've seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Whenever I read this story, I always, always well, we can put up that last slide again. We all always go to that verse, I have seen the Lord. And I just imagine Mary Magdalene's joy and the smile on her face as Jesus turned her tears of sorrow into tears of joy. As she discovered that the one she had followed, the one she had dedicated her life to, the one who had healed her, as she learned that he had risen from the dead and he chose to appear to her first, a woman. In that day and time, a woman's testimony wouldn't have been believed in a court of law. And here Jesus is appearing first to her. And then he gives her a mission. He says, go and tell the others the good news that I have risen from the dead. And really here we have an image of Jesus commissioning the first preacher, the first proclaimer of the good news of the gospel, Mary Magdalene, the one who was to go and to tell the others the good news that Jesus Christ had risen. And after he gives her this commission, you know what she does? She runs, she listens, and she obeys, and then everything changes. People begin to be transformed, the world begins to be transformed, and the gospel starts to spread to the ends of the earth. And here in this final scene, Mary has something. It's so simple, yet it's so profound for us to learn as disciples. And that is that a disciple always does whatever Jesus says. She's obedient to him. She listens to him. I mean, Mary had every excuse in the world to not do it. I mean, she she could have easily said, but Jesus, I'm a woman. Nobody's going to believe me. But instead, she believes the one who sent her, and she goes and she runs and she proclaims the good news. She could have said, Jesus, how am I supposed to explain that like you were dead and you're alive? I mean, that's not like a category people have in your body. I don't know how to explain all this that's going on. But she trusted him, and she went, and she told the others. And as she listened and as she obeyed, everything changed. She was a model disciple, and a disciple does whatever Jesus says. And I think one of the things that is plaguing the American church today, it's not a lack of information, it's a lack of obedience. Because so many of us, like myself, we know what Jesus says. We know what he's calling us to do. And yet we say to him, but Jesus, you don't live in Henry County. You don't know how it is around here. 
Jesus, I know you tell me to love my neighbors, but, but you don't know these people. You don't know them. I don't know them either, and so I'm afraid of them. Say, Jesus, I know you want me to do that, but I just can't. We've all been disobedient. Times we've all said to Jesus, Jesus, we know you're asking us to do this, but thanks, but no thanks. The good news of the gospel is that when we fail to be obedient and we don't listen to Jesus, that Jesus offers us forgiveness. That's what he offered all the disciples who fled from him in those desperate moments. He forgave them and then he empowered them and he sent them out to proclaim the good news. And so the good news of the gospel is that Jesus forgives us when we're disobedient and when we don't listen to him. But that's really the first half of the gospel forgiveness and justification and being set in a right relationship with God. The second half of the gospel is sanctification that Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, gives us the power and the ability to actually do what he commands us to do, to listen to his word. He gives us strength. He gives us courage. He gives us boldness to go out and to listen to him and to put our faith into action. So my question for you this morning is, what is Jesus asking you to do today? What is Jesus asking you to do today? Maybe it's to be still and to slow down. Begin to read in your Bible so that you can learn more about who Jesus calls us to be and how he calls us to live. Maybe it's to make space so that he can speak to you. Maybe it's to forgive somebody in your life who's wronged you recently or a long time ago. Maybe it's Jesus asking you to open up your heart and to accept the forgiveness that he wants to give you today. Maybe he wants you to stop being so hateful to other people who look different, who act different, who vote different. Maybe he's calling you to extend mercy to somebody in need. I believe that Jesus, he, he speaks to us. He speaks to us through his word, through sermons, through worship services, through the still small voice as we wait on him in prayer. Jesus speaks to us. The question for us is, are we going to listen and say yes? And so I don't know what he's asking you to do this morning. But I do know what I feel like he's asking me to do. And that's to simply give a, a very simple invitation as we close our service. And so this morning, if, if you identify with the people who feel like 
they've heard Jesus, they've had an encounter with Jesus, you know a lot about Jesus, maybe he's interesting or intriguing, but you've never made that commitment, that step of faith. You've never said, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord, the leader of my life. I want to follow you wherever you go. I want to receive your forgiveness and your love and your mercy. I I trust that you are who you say you are. I want to follow you. If you've never made that commitment, when we pray in just a moment, I want to invite you to make that commitment today. If you feel like Jesus is pulling on your heart, and we're not going to, you know, tell a sob story or anything like that. But if you feel like Jesus is inviting you to do that, I'm going to give you that opportunity. But then I know there's other people here. You don't necessarily identify with that group of people. Maybe you identify with Mary Magdalene at the tomb and at the foot of the cross, and you feel like you're in that dark place in life, and you don't know how things are going to work out. You don't know if things are going to work out. You can't see the future. You can't see two feet in front of you. There's darkness all around you, but you want to be close to Jesus in the midst of that. If that's you this morning, during our final song, we're going to have some prayer teams in each of the front corners, and we invite you to, to open up yourself and to receive the gift of prayer from us today. Because one of the ways we draw close to Jesus in the midst of difficult times is by drawing close to the body of Christ and letting Christ support us through relationships here. So I invite you to come forward for prayer. And then I know there's, there's a final group of you. You've made that commitment. Maybe it was at, at church camp long ago. Maybe it was here in this church. Maybe it was in a bedroom when you prayed one day as a kid. Jesus, I love you. I know you love me. I believe in you and I want to follow you. Maybe you made that commitment at some point in the past. I want to invite you today to come and to kneel at this altar. To get on your knees if you're able in a posture of humility and to just say to Jesus, Jesus, I want to follow you wherever you lead me. And ask Jesus to speak to you today and ask him to give you his strength so that you can be obedient. So as we close our time together, let us pray. Jesus, we thank you today for your mercy and for your grace. Jesus, we thank you that you love each of us so much and that you want a relationship with each of us. And we thank you for your life, for your death on the cross for us and your resurrection, God. We thank you that the end of the story isn't at the tomb, but it's the empty tomb. God, we thank you for that. And we thank you for this journey that we're on, God, as as disciples and as a church. And we come before you today, Jesus. We come before you today seeking like Mary Magdalene to follow you. And we ask that you would meet us here. And Jesus, we know that there are people in this room who have never before made that step of faith and made that commitment to follow you. So God, we want to give people that opportunity now. And so if that's you, I invite you to remain in a, a posture of prayer.
And if that's you and you feel like you've, you've been curious, but you've never jumped in, you've never made that commitment, I invite you to just simply pray this in your own heart right now. Jesus, today I want to follow you. I'm tired of doing things my way. And I confess that I've sinned against you and others. I'd like forgiveness from you. And I believe that you are who you say you are. You're the Son of God who came, lived and died and rose again for me. And today I want to say to you that I trust you. I want to follow you wherever you lead. I want to follow you into life eternal. I want you to be the leader of my life. If you prayed that, we're not going to make you stand up or anything, but if you prayed that, would you just slip your hand up so that we can recognize you and pray for you?